from the 38th chapter of the book of Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, Job. I will question you, and you make it known to me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, friends. Now, I don't know if you remember this, oh gosh, 30 years ago, but when I was a kid, my brother Jimmy and I would look forward to Saturday morning every week without fail. We would be up bright and early, and it wasn't to spend time with the family or to uh, sleep in after a long week of school or even play football. That was later on in the afternoon. No, we got up on Saturday morning for one reason, and it was this, WWF, baby. Remember that? The World Wrestling Federation, they were since sued by the World Wildlife Fund, it had to change their name, but, uh, but World WWF was professional wrestling, I mean, kind of, it was all fake, we didn't know that, we're 12 and 13 years old, uh, but it was, we, we would get up every Saturday morning to watch us at 10 o'clock on Channel 29 in Philadelphia, if you remember it, and we'd watch the greats like Jimmy Superfly Snooker, Andre the Giant, even Hulk Hogan. These guys would come out, you know this, it's still around. I mean, these guys would come out, they would talk smack, they would thump their chest, they would throw chairs at each other. It was like the Phil Donahue show for pre-teenage boys, right? It was great stuff. We loved it. We didn't know it was fake. We thought it was all true. But the best part was this, the, uh, every once in a while that had something called the smackdown. Remember that? And the smackdown was when you have a good guy, right, and a bad guy. And it was, there's no mistake in who was the good guy and who was the bad guy, who was the strong guy, who was the weaker guy. And it was always a close fight, but they would wrestle each other without fail. You know, handful of hair, binging them off the ropes, throwing them over the side, all that stuff. It seems so stupid now to think about it, but we loved it at the time. Um, and it was actually, in hindsight, good sermon fodder. Because today, Job gets the smackdown. Job gets the smackdown, not from Hulk Hogan, but from God. Job gets the smackdown from God. And we've seen the past two weeks in this very short, and I would submit to you not at all comprehensive, mini-series on Job. We're just scratching the baby surface here. But today, God confronts Job in what I think is one of the most dramatic um, pieces of scripture in the entire Bible. I've never preached this before, but I've always loved Job chapter 38. And here's why. If you've ever asked the question, why me? Why me? What have I done to deserve this, Lord? Well, buckle in, because today we're going to talk about why me? And we're going, to have, we're going to look at this in two points when Job, because Job actually doesn't get the smackdown. I'll get to that in a minute. I'm exaggerating, but here's the thing. We look at two points today. I'm going to look at, uh, in some detail, Job's complaint, which actually occurs before our reading from this morning, but I'll fill you in as we get there. Uh, point number one is Job's complaining to God, and it's a lot. <laughs> and then secondly, we look at God's answer. So first thing, uh, Job's complaining to God. That sounds funny, doesn't it? You would never hear Joel Olstein, now y'all need to go out and complain to God. You'd never hear him say that. That was a pretty bad rendition, wasn't it? Sorry. I, I tried, but not very well. 
Anyway, Father Gritter and Bishop Augustine last week have done a fantastic job teeing up the book of Job and both preached very excellent sermons. And by way of reminder, sort of big picture, here's the deal. Job is a guy who is a wealthy guy. He's got prosperity. He's got comfort. He pretty much has the world by the tail. Everything a person could want. And I don't just mean materially, because even when you have material stuff, you still aren't always happy. I've seen that before. Um, But Job was actually happy. More importantly, Job was content. He had a loving wife, a family, uh, esteem. He loved God. He was in a close relationship with God. He trusted God, which is key. But then, as the story goes, the bottom, as they say, fell out. And it's way back in chapter 1. Job's family is killed. We, we don't, Job doesn't know this, but God gives Satan permission to tempt Job. That's part of the, the dynamic here. But God gives Satan the ability to tempt Job but not kill him. And as things begin to unravel in Job's life, we begin to see that his world falls apart. His family is killed. His money is ruined. People come and steal all of his livestock and his crops. And and all of the things, here's the important thing. This is the subtext of the temptation from Satan and why God permits it. Here's why. Because you see, Job, like you and like me, we begin to trust in these things of this world, don't we? Our family, our wealth, our house, our friends, we begin to become content in them. We begin, to, we begin to rely on them. They become for us little mini gods. And the problem is, little mini gods, the fake ones, idols, don't satisfy. And so God permits Job to be stripped away of all these things. And all of these things are taken from him in an instant. His wife says to him, I love this, I should preach on this someday. But his wife says to him, after everything is bottomed out, Job remains faithful. He never, here's the key, Job never blames God for it. His wife says, Job, curse God and die, you old goat, right, essentially. But Job never blames God, and that's actually the key. That's hugely important. Why? Well, because Job suffers. There's no way around it. He's, this suffering is not phony. It's real. He struggles like you do, like I do. He really suffers. He complains a lot. More about that in a second. But Job never curses God. He never attributes evil to God. Never. In this book we're studying right now, some of you are in that study. It's been great. If you've missed it, the videos are on the website of the first week, and the second week will be up shortly. And the book is called Tim Keller's walking with God through pain and suffering. And Keller says lots of good stuff in the book, but one thing I found to be really helpful was this. He says, for suffering, it makes some people, dare I say most people, bitter, and it makes some people stronger. It's sort of interesting if you think about that for a second, because where does that bitterness come from? What are you bitter at? I mean, bitterness assumes you've been wronged, right? There's no Nietzscheans in existence. No one just says, well, tough beans for me, you know. No, we get angry. Well, who exactly are you angry at? People blame God, and they become bitter. That's common. And and actually, I don't say that with a judgmental spirit, because we all fall into that, I think, from time to time. And we as Christians need to be prepared to explain a better way. 
Does anybody know someone like that in your life who blames God? Or maybe you do. Maybe you did. Maybe you kind of still do. Someone's just bitter and angry. You know anybody like that? Well, listen. Part of the series we're going through is not so that you can feel superior to them, but so that you can minister to them. You can help them see a better way. Some people really experience suffering in their lives, and if they don't have a relationship with God, they turn to destructive behaviors like, behaviors like drugs or alcohol, or they blame God for their suffering. It's sad. It's pathetic in the, in the Greek sense of the word, pathos. It's just bad. Blaming God gets you nowhere. Either way, it turns inward and it's destructive. And friends, you and I, we all know people like this, and you and I need to be prepared and ready and able to speak into that, to show them a better way, which is Job's way. And this is my first point. Job doesn't blame God, but man, he sure does a lot of complaining. Job does not blame God, but he does complain a lot to God. There's two big differences there. Blaming God is, you've done this to me. You owe me. Complaining to God is, Lord, why me? Two different things. Two very different things, actually. In fact, in the chapters before chapter 38, you can go back and read it if you want to, God, uh, Job's friends basically try to tell him, Job, what have you done to deserve this? What did you do to ruin your family, ruin your marriage? What have you done, Job? Why has God cursed you? And we know the backstory that Job hasn't done anything wrong. We know that, but everybody wants to blame Job, just like everybody wants to blame you when things happen in your life. His friends try to convince Job, Job, you deserve this. What can you do, Job, to fix the problem? You know anybody like that? Boy, I do. You know, man, if you'd only done this, if you'd only done that, spare me the advice, okay? Although sometimes it's good advice if it's, if it's legitimate. But I want you to see something here, and this is, a, this is a psychological principle at work. People, you and I, it's not just Job who's answer, asking, why me? It's his friends. Why him? What has he done? It's a psychological principle here at work here called blaming the victim. When a person does something wrong, everybody wants to say, oh yeah, that's because, well, you know, that family, whatever. We call it gossip, you can call it whatever you want, but people do it all the time. Oh sure, Mary's got cancer, but she did smoke a pack a day for 20 years. Or this and this happened, but you know, he really does drink too much. You know what I'm, you've heard this a million times. People want to blame the victim, just like Job's friends want to blame him. Why? Because then they can say, well, I don't do that. So these Job's friends and Job are all crying out, why me? They blame Job. They want to pin it on him so they can walk away and say, well, it's not going to, it's not going to happen to me. And then Job says, Lord, I'm innocent. I've done nothing wrong. I mean, sometimes we do things which cause suffering in our lives, absolutely. But a lot of it is just innocent. And he cries out to God, and I want to challenge you on this. It's a, it's, a, it's a complaint. It's a lament. But he says, why me? And let me ask you a question. Have, when was the last time, I'm not going to say have you ever, because you have. When was the last time you said to God, why me? Why me, Lord? You know, in one, in one, in one sense, on a macro level, a big picture level, it's kind of an easy question to answer. We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world where people get sick, where the innocent suffer, where the guilty go free. 
where people uh, put words in other people's mouths, where they stifle free speech, all that stuff. So on a big macro level, yeah, why me? Why not me? We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. Why, why should we expect not to suffer? That's the question. But on a micro level, I mean, come, come into the personal, from the abstract to the visceral, the you, the micro level. Why me in particular? That's a really difficult question to answer. And so Job complains. Job whines. And I want to challenge you with something here. That's actually the key to the whole thing. Because the important part you see here is not that Job complains, but that God listens. It's astounding if you think about it. The creator of heaven and earth, the seas and all that is in them, right? Scripture says, listens to Job. You know, it's interesting. When someone is really struggling, you know this. When someone is really suffering with a problem in their life, all they really need to know is that someone is listening. You don't have to solve the problem. My wife will say to me, hey, I want to talk to you about this. I don't want you to solve it, because that's what I always want to do, right? I'm a guy. She'll say, don't solve it for me. Just listen. And I do. I'm happy to do that. All people want us to do is listen to them. God, this is amazing. God actually listens to Job's lament. He listens to him whine and complain for a long time, five chapters worth. And you know something? That's an important thing to realize because you know what? Allah does not listen to people complain. The gods of history, the, you think the Roman gods listen to people complain? No. The God of the Bible, he listens. You know why? Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. When you complain, and you all do, I do too, actually. Uh, when you complain, who do you complain to? But let's use the word lament. That's the biblical fancy word, but it means the same thing. Who do you lament to? I mean, think about it. Who do you, who do you whine to? You don't go to the, the fish guy at Publix and complain to him, right? Can you believe my kids? He's like, can you call security, please? Right? It's a little weird. You don't, you don't lament to people that you have no relationship with. No, 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 no. You lament to the people closest to you. You complain to your husband or your wife or your family or your priest or your friends, people within whom you are in relationship. You complain and lament to the people whom you love, and they listen to you. God hears Job, listen, intimately in his lament. God hears him. And in fact, if you want the perfect example, because Jesus is always the perfect example of everything, he's perfect. He's God and man. Jesus Christ himself, from the cross, before he dies, says, my God, my God, theos meo, Dad, why have you turned your back on me? Why me? Jesus himself says it. So my point I want you to see here, this is actually a huge lesson from the book of Job that frankly I have never thought about before. I've never preached it before. I've never told anybody under my pastoral care to do this. So here's a new one. You ready? You ready? I want you to learn how to complain to God. I want you to be comfortable lamenting, whining, this throwing up. Not literally. Metaphor, well, if you have to, sure. But I mean, 
just laying it out there, man, because actually the God of the Bible actually really does care about Job and about you. You know, when we think of prayer before God, we think of what? Requests, Lord, heal my mom. Lord, give this. Lord, do that. Or we even do a, a thanks, Lord, thank you for X, Y, Z. Those are all good things. But I want to, I want to, I want to, if you get one thing today, it's this. I want you to learn how to complain to God. It's actually an incredibly important form of prayer. Whine to God, complain to him, lament to him, lean on him. He hears you. He cares about you. And what Job shows us, and I'm going to get to this in a second, is that when we suffer, we can complain to God because God cares. God listens. And it leads me to my second point, that Job complains, God listens, but then point number two, God gives him an answer. This is where it gets interesting. You ready? Point number two, God answers. Now, I want to show you something here that, that I'll read it to you, and I want to show you in your bulletin here. It says, then the Lord answered Job out of this long complaint for hours and hours. Job is just, you know, complaining to the Lord. And it says, and then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? <laughs> I love this. Dress for action like a man, Job. You know, gird up your loins. That's where that comes from in the old translation. Put your big, pa- put your big boy pants on, Job. I'm going to question you, and you're going to answer me. Now, before we get into that, and he goes through this long list of things, but I want to actually show you something which is actually incredible, because it sounds like, it's, it does sound like, you know, the WWF smackdown, right? Yeah, God just says, God, Job, you're Job, and I'm God, and bleh, enough of you. But I want to show you something really interesting here. Job has spent five chapters complaining to God, and notice in his answer something incredible. Uh, if you look in verse 1, it says, the Lord answered Job. Now, I didn't realize this until two days ago, but whenever you put the word Lord in the Bible into word, Microsoft Word, it corrects it. So uh, that word Lord there is in small caps. It's in regular L-O-R-D. See it? But in the translation in the Bible, it's L-O-R-D, capital letters. And that is the key to the whole thing. Why? Because there are several words which you translate L-O-R-D into English. One is Elohim, which means God. One is Adonai, which means God. But one of them, the third one, the third word for Lord is a special one. And it's the word Yahweh. W-H-Y-H, the Tetragrammaton. Why is that important? Because it is God's first, listen, it is God's first name. My first name is Christopher, from the Greek, Christophoros, the one who carries Christ. Your first name might be, I don't know, Josh or Robert or Susan or Mary. But I want you to see something here which is absolutely incredibly profound. That God speaks to Job, listen, on a first name basis. Personally. Intimately. And God asks Job a series of rhetorical questions. Job, okay, all right, I hear you, I hear you. I am hearing you, Job, when you complain. But let me ask you a question, Job. All right, shoot. Job, where were you? 
when I created the heavens and the earth? Uh, good question. Oh, no, no, no. No, where were you when I created the skies? Where were you, I love this one, when the morning stars sang together at their creation? I love that imagery. The first and most important thing here in this exchange between God and Job is that God actually listens to him, right? But then God speaks to Job on a first-name basis. Because, see, in all this complaining, in all of your complaining and mine, the real issue at hand, if you dig down a layer, which is always what you want to do, the real issue at hand here is Job's worst fear is that God has abandoned him. Right? That's the reason that Job is so upset and lamenting that he's been abandoned by God. The reason that you are fearful is because you fear that God has abandoned you. We all know how this feels. That when our world comes crashing in, the reason we fear is because we wonder if anyone is in control. Because when we're not in control, it's awfully easy to assume that no one else is. But God answers Job with an answer that goes essentially like this. You ready? Job, good question. Why me? But Job, you, you, uh, you cannot understand this. I am God and you are not. But, and I want you to see this, to understand the why of individual suffering would require every one of us to know every single movement of every single molecule in the universe at every single moment in time. That you and I would have to know everything going on in every single moment of every person's brain, how it all comes together for us to understand why things happen to me. But guess what? We're not God. I'm not, and neither are you. I'm not omniscient, and neither are you. But he is. Let me give you an illustration here. I have a betta fish at home. They used to call them Siamese fighting fish. You probably can't call them that anymore. Maybe we'll take that out of the video. We'll see. But anyway, uh, we have, a, we have, a, we have a, a betta fish on the counter. His name is Marlin. Uh, we used to have a betta fish named Mr. Bubbles, but he's dead and flushed. So now, <laughs> there's Marlin. And Marlin lives in a little bowl on the counter. And every morning, I get up at 5.30 in the morning, and I go out, and I turn on the coffee maker. And little Marlin, in the bottom of his tank, he kind of sleeps on his side. It's kind of weird, actually, but he does. He sleeps on his side, and the minute that I walk out there, he sees something outside the bowl, and he goes, whoa, and he wiggles up to the top, and then magically, in Marlin's world, when he sees this blurry thing outside of his tank, magically dead bugs come floating down out of the water right after he sees this blur outside of his window. It's because I'm feeding him, right? And then later on, when Marlin's water gets dirty, magically this thing comes in and swoops him out into a bowl, and he's confused, and then he goes back in, and his water's clean again. It's all magic. The point I want you to see here, Marlin, has, <laughs> Marlin and I do not have a first name basis relationship. Marlin, and I, Marlin has no idea what my name is, nor does he know what his name is, for that matter. Marlon does not even know that there is, Marlon does not know that there is life outside the fishbowl, and I doubt if he even knows anything at all, if he's even sentient, who knows. But God's answer to Job is essentially, Job, I am God, and you are not, and friends, you and I are like 
the distance between me and Marlin and the fishbowl is nothing compared to the distance between me and the creator of heaven and earth. You and I, friends, God says, Job, you can't possibly understand this. You cannot understand it, Job, because you are in the fishbowl, like we all are. And Job, you'll never understand this, but, Job, here's the key. You are in a relationship with me. And you may not know what's going on outside that fishbowl. Marlon has no idea how, why that, fish, that food comes floating in his tank, but I do. Job, you have no idea why these things are going on in the world, but I do, and most importantly, you, Job, you and your seat right now are in relationship with me, God says. And we'll see this next week when I finish up this sermon series. Job hears God's answer, and he's actually satisfied. And he repents for being presumptuous, for being so bold as to think that he's God and can understand it all. But most importantly, Job rests in the knowledge knowing that he doesn't understand everything, but that God does, and that God cares about him, and that God is in an intimate, close, name, first name relationship with him. Friends, here's the one thing I want you to see from Job, what he learns, and I want you to learn from his life, from Job's life, is that God's got this. We can't know everything because we're not God, and how dare we presume to be? but he will give you the strength to persevere, and you might not know everything, but he does. So let me challenge you as I wrap up this morning with this. Where, where are you struggling right now? Where does your heart want to cry out to God? Well, complain, lament, whine about it. Why me? But do it knowing that God's got it. He hears you, and you can rest in the fact you know, we will find out, we'll see next week when Job actually gets his response, that even though Job never gets a specific answer, he actually rests in the fact that God says to him, Job, I've got this, man. Just relax. That no matter what happens, God's got this. That no matter what happens, you are in relationship with him and that he is in relationship with you. Father, we thank you for the example of Job, a man who suffered but never blamed you. Lord, teach us, Lord, like Job, to lean on you, to complain, to lament, to lay it all out, because we are in relationship with you and you hear us. Help us to see the big picture. Help us to remember the big picture that even when we don't understand these things, you do, that you've got a plan and we can trust it. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.